Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. With us on this episode is Scott Murray, a serial entrepreneur and the president of Level 5 Tools, a company he founded in 2012, sold in 2022, and still leads today. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Kelly. You bought your first company in 1997, but this was after spending many years, actually, as an industrial engineer, working for PepsiCo, Frito-Lay, Quaker Oats, I mean, really big multinational companies, yet you left and decided to venture out on your own. Tell us about how that entrepreneurial bug bit you. Yeah, it's a great question. I was actually getting my master's degree via Quaker Oats at UMKC. The professor of international business, Dr. John Cleek, took us on an international residency. So we were between Singapore and Kuala Lumpur. I can remember like it was yesterday, we were actually sitting on a bus coming into Johar, Baru. And I said, you know, this is really cool. This whole notion of international business and traveling around the world and buying and selling products, would you ever consider selling your business? And long story short, he had a deal going, it fell through and went to my wife and said, you know, I think this could be an opportunity that we should pursue to do some things on my own. Because, you know, working in the manufacturing world, I was negotiating union contracts. I was leading big manufacturing facilities. And at a young, ripe age of 37, I was already bored. (laughs) (laughs) So you really had this opportunity for an existing company to purchase it. Right. And I I guess I I considered from the outside looking in, it looked like a pretty simple business and looked like something that I could do and something I could be successful at. I guess I feel like I'm more of an opportunist than an entrepreneur. I didn't take an idea from the seed and really grow it myself, but I took something that at least had a foundation and felt like I could take it to to the next level. So, you know, having that, I think, made me feel maybe a little more secure Had it not been for that, I probably likely would have stayed at Quaker Oats. (laughs) Then you went on to own a number of other businesses, uh, including an industrial coatings company, which you're still involved with, an animal and agricultural probiotics company, and a construction hand tool company before starting Level 5. And what I find so curious about those is, at least you know, at the surface level, they seem like they're such diverse businesses. And most business owners do tend to stay in one lane. Uh, is there a commonality that we're just not seeing among those? And if, you know, what is it if there is? And if there's not, what attracted you to each one of those? Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, I mean, uh, my dad always had, he had a saying, he has a picture of my uh, older brother sitting there in a lemonade stand when he was about nine years old. And it's got a caption that says, nothing in business happens until a product gets sold. So the commonality was that I feel like I can sell anything as long as I understand the product, as long as I see there's a market opportunity and then execute on the sale. So it's really about how do you sell that product to somebody in need somewhere. And then quite really from some of these resourced products, some of those direct direct manufacturer products. But but that was really the the commonality between those. The other thing I would say is that, you know, early on being an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, I tell the story about my uncle saying, hey, when you buy a business, just don't change your routine. Stay there every day, no matter whether you have four hours worth of work or two hours worth of work, stay there eight hours a day. So I had a lot of idle time. So I was like a dog. I chased every bone coming down the street that I thought had some meat on it and uh, got very, very broad very, very quickly. Prior to actually founding Level 5, that's a company you did found. Were any of the others ones you purchased or did you take them from startup stage? Well, the, the, the tool business, obviously, was one of the first businesses we had when we bought uh, the trading company. So the guy that was running the trading company had been the past president of Goldblatt Tool Company, which is down on Osage, 125-year-old brand. So the tool business really kind of born out of that. We created our own brand, Level 5. 
And then other businesses like the probiotics business just kind of came to us. Uh, there was another fellow here in Kansas City named Matt Wood, who's an entrepreneur, and he came to us and we talked about international expansion of his probiotic products. And uh, so we had a partnership there. And really, that's really how we pursued those things, the, the partnerships. Jim Stolke, you know, and, and I uh, partnered up on the coatings business. So uh, another local entrepreneur. So it seemed like once I get into that vein, whenever I saw an opportunity, I thought that we could make work. We chased it. And so the drywall tools company, Level 5, that then is really the one that you started completely from scratch. Tell us about why you thought it was time to start a drywall tools company. Yeah, well, really, it came out of a massive failure in 2009 and 10. You know, we we lost pretty much everything that we were doing in the construction tool business, which was a broader line business, and uh, sold off pretty much everything we had. We had to, you know, really kind of redesign products from the ground up. And that seemed to be the one, the drywall tool industry seemed to be the one that had the most potential. And uh, about the time we were looking at that business, uh, some of our competition, one particular competitor came out with a very high-priced, high-quality product. And typically in the trial trade business, drywall, concrete, masonry, tile tools, everybody's chasing low price, low quality. And when we saw that opportunity to be higher price, higher quality, it's like, you know what, if we just redesign everything and come in at the top end of the market, we certainly know how to make it. We probably can be successful. So that's really what we put our our foundation in in 2010-11 was let's recreate Uh, this product line in the drywall tool business, and let's do it under the Level 5 brand. With Level 5, you launched a business from scratch. You had previously been buying businesses. For anyone who's listening that is thinking about becoming an entrepreneur or acting on their entrepreneurial aspirations, what advice do you have for either one of those? Does it take a different set of skills to launch a business versus buying an existing one? Uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, I don't know that it requires a different set of skills. Certainly buying an existing business you know, comes with some, hopefully, level of revenue and profit that you can begin to build off of. You know, The downside there is that it also comes with a history. It comes with behaviors from the previous owners and whatnot that you may feel obligated to maintain. And that might not necessarily be the best path for that business. So when you when you start over, as we did, and started something from scratch, we were really able to craft our own path, but we did it with no money. You know, so we really had no, you know, no foundation of performance. We had some knowledge in the category, but we really didn't have a foundation. So certainly the risk profile was different. But I felt like the level of control was was higher for us. And and again, I go back to when we bought the existing business. I really didn't know what the heck I was doing. It looked like a safer bet, but it took a while to shake off some of the history and the people that they've been working with. And again, the products, processes, and procedures. Because when we bought the small trading company in 1997, we were doing everything from beanie baby knockoffs to drywall, concrete, masonry, tile tools to cashew butts out of India. So, I mean, we were we were doing anything we could make a buck on to buy and sell. And that really wasn't healthy. You've said, my story's not one of rainbows, butterflies, and roses. Tell us about some of the personal and professional choices and challenges that uniquely prepared you and Level 5 to, as you say, seize the day and win. Yeah, you know, when you face failure like we did, it, it really does humble you. And you know, I heard a long time ago, you know, if you, if you think the price of success is too high, wait till you look at the price of regret. And when you've bet your life savings, when you've put your house on the line more than once when you've had to sell vehicles and motorhomes and and motorcycles. And we didn't have a lot, but we had to sell everything. And then you had a 67,000 square foot building that was wrapped around your neck by $3 million worth of inventory. All of a sudden, that burden comes down on you. And literally, you know, the 67,000 square foot building that we couldn't sell because it was 2010. And if anybody recalls then, the, the, the housing market was a disaster. 
the real estate market in general was a disaster. I walked around that building many, many days just thinking, what in the world have I done? I put my family at risk. I put these employees at risk. And, um, you know, when you got to face 27 employees, we had 27 employees at the moment we failed and we had to go down to three. And that included me. And those people lost their benefits. They, their families were then at risk. And that burden becomes very, very heavy. And you have to really sit back and reflect on what have I done? And am I going to give up? Or am I going to figure out what went wrong, why it went wrong, reformulate a plan and go after it? And I think, you know, it's like holding a snake in my face. I mean, the, my number one fear is failure. And I don't want to let anybody down. And when you're in a position where you feel like you've let people down, I mean, at least for me, I mean, it was not double, triple, quadruple. It was X down and, uh, and recreate this line and learn. A lot of people would have done just the opposite. They would have said, I gave this my all and the writing's on the wall. But you, you chose to stick with it. Where do you find that kind of resilience? Where do you even start to turn something like that around? Yeah, I mean, there's multiple fronts. Number one, I've got a great spouse. I mean, my wife of 38 years, she was a rock during this whole thing. She didn't like it no more than I did, but, you know, she was very, very supportive during this whole thing. You know, even my few employees were very supportive. My family was incredibly supportive. So you had a lot of people around you cheering for you to be, you know, to be successful. You know, certainly I couldn't have done this without a deep faith. All the credit to a higher power, you know, that I could not have done this. I'm not that smart. I couldn't have done this on my own, but I am tenacious. And I refuse to give up and refuse to lose. And there's many times, quite frankly, that I should have just given up. I had a mentor at one time. He said, you know, you're way bankrupt and you probably ought to take advantage of the bankruptcy laws. And I just could not live with myself if I did that. So, you know, the other thing I did, I mean, I got up and went to the gym every day. You know, I, I got up at 5.15 every morning and went to the gym. And somebody asked me a great question one time. They said, did you ever wake up and think I cannot do this one more day? And I said, you know what? That's a really good question because I went to bed feeling like that every day for five years. And I would lay there and toss and turn and think, what have I done? What have I done? And I would fall asleep at some point. But when I woke up, it's like, okay, new day, left foot on the ground, right foot on the down, get to the gym, clear your head and figure it out. And some days it was two steps forwards and some days it was five steps backwards. You're also involved in the entrepreneurial community here in the Kansas City area. Tell us about some of the resources that you've tapped into that have really made a difference in you know success versus failure for you. The Entrepreneurial Exchange, the, the, the group that uh, you know sponsored a recent event here at the Country Club Bank, was an important part of that. He always knew you had an ear to call on Neil Patterson. Got to spend time with him early on in those meetings, and he always challenged everybody around the circle to say, hey, what are you going to do to make yourself better? No excuses, no excuses, no excuses. I was a member of the Hellsberg Entrepreneur Mentoring Program for quite a while. I had a great mentor there, Ralph Robley, who he was with me during the dark times. We didn't spend any time trying to learn how to you know talk about growing the business. We spent a lot of time saying, how do we stay out? out of bankruptcy. So, you know, it was just a different environment. You know, I spoke about this earlier. You know, the biggest challenge is when you are failing sometimes, it is really hard to reach out for help because you don't want people to think you're a failure and you don't want your story being told in a bad way. And and again, now looking back on it after we've had success, I would have done that differently. You know, I would have probably reached out to others sooner. And uh, the people that were close to me were incredibly supportive and always in my corner. What's the most surprising thing given all the different kinds of companies that you've owned, given the adversity that you 
faced and overcame. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself as a business person, Scott? Uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty good at it. <laughs> you know, I never really thought I would be. You know, and certainly there were days and months and years where I thought I'm really not very good at this, and I should go back to Quaker Oats or Frito Lay or go back to a quote real job, as my wife and I would joke once in a while. But uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm relentless. I mean, I am relentless. And anybody that knows me from my history, even my back in my Quaker Oats days, know that I am very, very determined. And sometimes to a fault, I will plow through to the goal line if I see an opportunity. And uh, so really, I think, you know, the biggest thing I've learned about myself is that, um, you know, I, I, if I see a goal, I will go after it. The downside that is, is that, you know, sometimes there's collateral damage in a rearview mirror. So I think one of the things I'm trying to learn, even in my advanced age of 60 now, is uh, patience, uh, because patience is something that was an enemy to me for a long time. And, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you think you can do things fast and change things and change people. And even like negotiating with Lowe's, for example, you know, you give them a proposal. You don't hear back for a week or two and you think, oh, my gosh, my price is too high. My price is too high. So you send them a better offer. And you don't hear from them for two or three weeks. You think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose this. So you send them a better offer. Well, they're just sitting there collecting lower prices while you're negotiating with yourself. So being patient is something that, quite frankly, in the in the sale of the business, you know, we stayed focused. We stick, you know, stuck to our knitting and uh, being patient. Uh, the opportunity came to us. We didn't go get it. Scott, among all the different things you've done, you've also served as a lecturer and an adjunct professor at the University of Missouri Block School of Management. So if you had to write a lesson plan for running a business, what point would you stress the most? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I did that because I thought it'd be a really fun thing to do when I retired. From the outside looking in, being a college professor looked like a pretty good gig, you know, and come and go as you please. It is far more difficult than it looks from the outside looking in, you know, dealing with all the students and whatnot. Uh, but, but but building a lesson plan, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the foundation of, of understanding a financial statement, those kind of things are important. But boy, it's really, really hard because how do you teach somebody that, that you're going to have to work harder than you've ever worked? How are you going to teach somebody that you are going to be wrapped up emotionally in something more than you can even imagine. Uh, so I, it, it's really hard for me to, to say that I could teach somebody. I'd have to look at what their history and their background was and how hard have you had to work? Are you willing to make sacrifices that you can't even dream of today? You know, I made 16 trips to Taiwan in 18 months when my kids were four or five years old because the partner that controlled 95% of my business died nine months into me owning the business. And I had no idea where any of our stuff was made. Those are sacrifices in times that you just don't get back. So it's, it's really hard. And what, you know, what schooling taught me is that, you know, and I look at some of the higher level of education. It shows me you can complete something and it likely shows you're a good problem solver. And believe me, you have better be a good problem solver and you better be quick and nimble on your feet when you have a business. What's the next part of your journey, Scott? I know you're still the president of Level 5 Tools, which you sold recently, and you're still involved with uh, at least one of your other businesses. Uh, where do you go from here? Yeah, I mean, we'll see where things go. I mean, I'll never probably stop doing some type of business. I've already have ideas cooking, which my wife rolls her eyes at. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll work on the coatings business. You know, I have some other ideas. We've got a really, really powerful, you know, direct-to-consumer model. I think there's opportunities there. There's certainly opportunities with our new owners to do some things well beyond, you know, what our current agreement is, because I think, you know, they're building a consumer products business and we built a consumer products business and we did it in a different way than most did uh, because we went direct to consumer first. So I always have my finger in the pie. And, and quite honestly, uh, this will sound maybe corny to some, but uh, this is a true story. I woke up the Sunday after we sold the business. And if you've, you've been through that as you have, 
it can be a highly emotional and a highly draining experience. And I never thought something like that would take me to my knees, but it did. And um, the Sunday after I sold the business, I woke up to a voice that said, now go do some good. And it was audible to me. And I looked over at my wife and she wasn't moving. So it was really almost like somebody saying now and pausing, you're off the hook, but now go do some good. So, so that's the other thing. So we've created a you know, donor advised fund where we're trying to go out there and find opportunities in Kansas City to help other people because you know, a lot of other people helped me along the way and I could name a laundry list of them uh, here in Kansas City. There was always someone that showed up. There was always a person uh, that recommended I talk to someone else, a specific person that helped me sell the building in 2010 11 uh, and i'll mention his name david zimmer you know when we no one was buying any buildings out there and uh, we had to work through an at&t easement that went through the middle of the building and the supposed abandoned septic system outside of the building and he traipsed around that property with me in august in 110 degree heat uh, looking for all these things and and he figured it out for me so there was people that always showed up at the right time so again i mean be open to the opportunities that are there be open to the people that are willing to help and just be patient with what's coming your way and uh, and you'll be okay. I mean, really the next chapter is obviously, I hope level five lives well beyond me. I'm confident it will now. That'll be a brand that'll be around for, I'm hoping a hundred years plus. And uh, you know, you hope you get to be remembered by doing some good in the community as well. Scott, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story and best of luck to you. Thank you very much, it's a pleasure. This is Joe Close, president of Country Club Bank. Thank you to Scott Murray for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. As a serial entrepreneur, Scott has learned the intricacies of various industries and found the key to success in each of them. He points out, however, that his story is not all butterflies and roses. He survived many personal and professional challenges by considering the adage, if you think the price of success is too high, look at the price of regret. Think about that for a minute. How often are we confronted with situations in our personal lives or in our businesses or in our community where achieving success means taking big risks? Rather than giving up when the risks seem too great, like many entrepreneurs, Scott went to work formulating a plan to go after the challenges. And he and his companies emerged stronger. As individuals and as a community, we too emerge stronger when we sidestep our fears, embrace the risk, and seize the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC. FDIC.